Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Let us turn there. I missed you last week. Did you miss me? Because I wasn't here. I was speaking up in uh, Lancaster at the, uh, the Antelope Valley Church. But I understand that uh, you did have church. Did you preach, uh, Marcel? Did you preach on uh, Blessed Are the Peacemakers? Did you do a good job? You tried hard? Good. Seems like some people felt that you did. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. I already mentioned this is the uh, last of the Beatitudes. We'll continue with uh, the rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But here we finish the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The title I have chosen for the message today is Braveheart. You're uh, probably familiar. There was a movie by that name, Braveheart. Anybody know what year it came out? 1995. I heard that several times. True or false, it won the Academy Award for Best Picture. That is true. The lead actor, also director, Mel Gibson. Exactly. The character he portrayed, Sir William Wallace. Boy, you guys are good. You guys are good. Sir William Wallace, and it was about a situation in the 13th century. It was a uh, historical uh, picture based on a true story of the, uh, the war for Scottish independence from uh, England. And uh, he was playing the, the Scot there, Sir William Wallace. But anyway, it uh, really fits with our message today because blessed are those who are persecuted. And... One thing that's going to be required is that we are men and women of courage, that we are brave hearts when it comes to the reality of persecution that Jesus promises we all will face. I already mentioned this is the, uh, the last beatitude. It is special in a couple of different ways. He doesn't just uh, give the one-sentence beatitude, but then we read in verse 11 and 12, he expands on it. Seems like it's important enough that he has other things that he wants to say. He doesn't just want to leave it as it is. There's other something else that makes this beatitude different from all the other seven that went before. Do you have an idea what that might be? Any ideas? Going once, going twice, you have all failed the class. Okay. Uh, Etta? Go. 
There is our star student right there, Etta McCurry. She said it's something that's done to you. And that is exactly right. The others are about characters or qualities that God wants us to have in our lives, spiritual qualities that we have a choice and we should pray for and we should encourage and we should make decisions to be that way. But in this situation, this is something that other people do to us. None of us want to be persecuted. Can we all agree on that? That is not something we seek. That is not something we desire. And in fact, uh, the opposite is true. We love praise and we hate criticism. Can we agree on that? We desperately want everyone to like us. Are we secure enough to at least admit how insecure we are? We want everybody to like us. The world says, blessed are the popular. But Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Once again, we find... The world is flying upside down. But you have to appreciate Jesus. Because as I've mentioned, this is the foundational sermon of Christianity. This is the beginning of his ministry, his public ministry. And right up front, he's not, he's not far into the message and the teaching when he's very honest with him. And he says, if you decide to follow me, you will be persecuted. And certainly throughout his ministry, that is repeated. The words are repeated. We certainly see in the New Testament the example of that happening, and it became true. A couple of scriptures I would refer you to that you might want to write down for, uh, to be able to look up and consider later if you don't know them already. In Luke 6.26, Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. It's the other side of that coin. He says, For that is the way they treated the false prophets who came before you. Later on in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, In fact... Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you surprised? It's inevitable. And so that makes this beatitude perhaps, perhaps the most challenging of all that have come before it. Because he says, and what we could only conclude is that if you never experience persecution, then are you living a righteous life? It would seem that you are not. If you never experience persecution, are you really a disciple of Jesus? And could you really even claim to be saved? Now I understand there are many 
different forms of persecution. I mean, he talks about that later on in the text there. He says, you know, when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you, those are some of the milder forms of persecution. Sometimes we probably are being persecuted and we don't even know it. Right? Because the people in the office are talking about us. They're talking about us behind our backs. Or the gossip is spreading in the neighborhood about the Christian fanatics that have moved into the neighborhood. So there may be stuff going on that we don't even know. But these are the milder forms of persecution when people either to your face or behind your back, they mock you for what you believe. Uh, They may insult you. And then it goes up from there. They may even get to the point of telling lies about you. You may not even know it. You may not have gotten a promotion or you may not have gotten a job or you may have been fired from a job because of your faith. It's possible that may have happened and it's possible that you may not have known it. Now let me just say this before we go any further. It's important that we know that Jesus says we're blessed if we're persecuted because of righteousness. That's pretty important to note, isn't it? Because it's very possible that we could be persecuted not for righteousness, but for unrighteousness. And don't be one of those people that every time you lose a job or don't get a promotion, you blame it on your Christianity. Okay? Right? Oh, yeah, that's good. They didn't give me that job because they know I'm a Christian. Well, maybe, maybe not. In fact, I found the truth is most employers, if they find somebody who's hardworking and honest and is, live in, in is you know, they, they, they like those people. They may not appreciate your convictions and your faith, but as long as it's you're conducting yourself in an appropriate way in the workplace, uh, I believe Christians ought to be and usually are some of the very best workers and the most attractive workers uh, to their bosses. But if you never experience persecution, are you really living a righteous life? It seems that the Bible says that the persecution card is sort of a, a token of genuineness for the Christian. It's sort of a, a certificate of authenticity. Thank you very much. Pray for me to get that word out today. A certificate of authenticity. It's like if you have a rare coin or, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a purebred dog or, you know, a, a classic painting... Frequently, if it's really valuable and if it's real, you want a certificate, something that verifies its authenticity. The Bible says this is one of the ways. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways that you can know if you're really a disciple of Jesus. And that's if you experience persecution. Look over in uh, John chapter 15. I'm going to read a few more scriptures today. 
than perhaps I normally do. Hopefully this will be helpful, even encouraging today. God wants us to be brave hearts. Jesus wants us to be brave hearts when it comes to persecution. Why is persecution inevitable? Jesus does a great job explaining that here in John 15. Are you there yet? In verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. One of the reasons, I comment here, that we're going to be persecuted is we no longer live by the pattern of the world. And it's going to be so radically different from our neighbors and maybe other family members or co-workers that people are going to note that and our lifestyle is going to be threatening to them. Especially if they are claiming to be Christians and we have a higher standard than they, are, they do for how they're living their life, then they are going to be uncomfortable because they're going to feel exposed. What, is, what did Jesus say in another place? He said, you know, they would not have realized they were in darkness if light had not come into the world. So there you go. That's part of it. But he goes on. Continue reading. Remember the words I spoke to you. This is Jesus talking. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Now there's some good news, isn't it? Not everybody is going to persecute us for our faith or for our message. And in fact, I would say... Every saved soul here today is evidence that some people will obey the teaching. Am I right about that? Don't you appreciate the person who reached out to you, who shared their faith, who risked persecution? Go ahead, it says, verse 21, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now consider that for a moment. Jesus came and he's talking about his ministry among the Jews. This was the correct faith to be in at that time. It was a Jewish faith. But it says they rejected him because of who he was and because of his claim that he was the Messiah and that he was God who had come in the flesh. And later on in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how do you think the Jews felt about that? And would we be surprised, or should we be surprised today, when people from other religions in the world would persecute us because we have a faith and we have a conviction that Jesus is the only 
way, the truth, and the life. Should we be surprised? Sometimes I think we've forgotten how radical the message is. How do you expect other people in other religions to feel about Jesus and about our faith? Well, here we go on. And this is really where I think the rubber meets the road. Where are we now? Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. Here we go. Should we be surprised? Jesus says, when I come and I speak to people and I share my faith and I talk about sin and repentance from sin, he says that, you know, there's going to be, when you, do, when you go there, you know, sometimes people say, don't go there. Well, Jesus says, you need to go there. When you speak the message of the cross, you need to expect, I need to expect that we're going to be persecuted just like Jesus was. Have we forgotten how radical the message of the cross is? As we go through the Beatitudes, we've already been looking at it. Jesus says there is no one who's good enough to be saved on the basis of their own morality and their own righteousness. There are so many people in our world today who really feel like they're good enough to be saved that they don't even need to be particularly religious. That they're saved. How do you think they're going to hear that message? You think they're going to appreciate that message? The message of Jesus was, not only am I the only way, but that if you're going to come and to find salvation, you're going to have to repent of sin. And you're going to have to make me, Jesus, Lord of every area of your life. Your time and your energy and your money is no longer your own. If you're going to follow me, it all belongs to me now. You must be Lord of all in every area of your life. You must be committed, fully committed to the church and the family of God. You must be sharing your faith yourself and spreading the good news about Jesus. Now, if you're one of those folks, and maybe you are today, but if not here, I know there's a lot of them out there. They practice a form of Christianity that I call easy believism. You heard me speak about that before? It's the most, it's the most popular brand of Christianity. It's not necessarily connected with any particular denomination, but it's the idea that if I just believe in Jesus, then I can live however I want to and do whatever I want to. If I just believe, then I'm saved. 
And I do not know how you can read the New Testament or how you could read the Gospels and look at Jesus, look at His teaching and come to the conclusion that it really doesn't matter how you live. You just need to believe. How do you expect the proponents of easy believism to feel when the message is preached? But here's the thing, guys. Whether it's you or it's me, if I'm not being persecuted or experiencing persecution, I'm not talking about uh, necessarily uh, constantly or daily or... But if, I, if, if I'm not ever being persecuted, more than anything, what it probably does say is I am simply not sharing my faith. See, Jesus says it's because I came and spoke to them. You might get persecuted for your righteous life and your good example at work because everybody else is stealing the papers and pens and notebooks and taking them home, and you're not. You might get persecuted there, you know, because you don't tell the same filthy jokes and you don't hang around and listen to that stuff, and because you don't come to work and share about your sexual conquest and your immorality and your impurity and laugh about it and, you know, brag about it. But probably, you know, most people probably don't care what you do with your life. I don't want to burst your bubble, but they really probably don't care. And in fact, if you did walk away from their filthy conversation, they probably appreciate it. Probably makes them feel better about themselves. You know, that you, that you left. But I'll tell you when persecution comes. It's when you have the courage. We need a room full of brave hearts. To be able to talk to people and speak the gospel message. In the context, of course, of good news, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being insensitive. Certainly not talking about standing on the street corner and holding up signs saying everybody's going to hell. I've seen that tried. I, I, I do not feel that is an effective form of outreach. You know what I'm talking about? But to reach out to invite people to come and worship with us, to invite them to small group Bible studies, to invite them to open the Bible with you and start reading what the Bible says about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. When you speak the message, it's inevitable that there are going to be some people that do not appreciate it. Persecution takes many forms. Look over in uh, Matthew chapter 10. A couple more scriptures before we close out.
You know, I was talking about the different forms of persecution that there are and how they can go from subtle and maybe even not even understood or known by us to very serious. Of course, I could remind you of the example of many in the New Testament who lost their very lives for their faith. The stoning of Stephen, of course, many others. And then, of course, history tells us there were literally thousands, thousands of Christians beginning with the reign of Nero in the middle 60s A.D., and later during the reign of Domitian in the Roman time of the Roman Empire, where Christians, whole families of Christians, moms, dads, and small children were fed to the lions or burned at the stake for their faith, right? Now, how do you feel when you hear stories about that? And there's no doubt that's historically true. I, I, uh, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't really like to think about that. But if I do, almost always the first thing that I think of is, okay, if I was there and the issue was that I had to either proclaim Caesar to be Lord or Jesus to be Lord and the stakes were that I would be fed to the lions or burned alive, what would I do? Is that where your mind goes? And, uh, you know, I, I learned this just recently when I was studying church history. It's estimated that about 50% of the Christians did not pass that test. And they, that's an estimate, but there were certainly thousands upon thousands of Christians died, but there are also thousands upon thousands of Christians who wouldn't stand up for their faith and who went and, you know, just to protect their own life, uh, they... Uh, they knuckled under. Which would you have been? Which would I have been? Would we ever go to that place again? When I think about that, because it's hard for me to picture myself. I mean, I would like to think that I would do the right thing. Maybe I should have called that the sermon. Do the right thing. Maybe I should have been a good sermon title for today. I would like to think so. But I tell you, just based on what the Bible says, I want to encourage you with the scripture here. I got to believe that if we were put in that position or whatever situation that we are in, that God is going to be there with us in that moment that requires courage in the face of persecution and that God, if we will let him, will enable us to make the right choice. I gotta believe that because I don't think I could do it on my own. How about you? I gotta believe that promise of 1 Corinthians 11 that we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. And that if I was in that position, God would enable me to get through it. Are you in Matthew 10 yet? Look what he says here. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. 
On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Does that encourage you? That's what I'm going to need when I'm in that, if I'm in that position. And I think in a much smaller, much smaller scale, I've been in that position already. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but some of you know that I've told the story before of when I was just a few months old as a Christian. I was baptized during my first quarter of graduate school at the University of Florida working on a master's in civil engineering. And as an example of how persecution works sometimes, I went in to meet with my major professor in the department there, Dr. Christensen, and one of his first questions, we were working on my class schedule for the next quarter, and one of his first questions was, what are you doing with all your time? And it was a loaded question because I think he already knew. I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty busy with the graduate school work here. It's t pretty time consuming, but I've also, I'm a part of this uh, great church that I became a cart part of, the Crossroads Church of Christ. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. He says, I, I know all about that church. He says, you cannot be in that church and make it through this graduate school program. The time that you need to do well in school, that church is not going to give you enough time. And then I, I said some things that were pretty uh, appropriate, I think, and they were pretty bold and they were pretty courageous. But uh, it was kind of surreal. I mean, I uh, later on I was like thinking about what I'd said. I go, what, what was I thinking and why did I say that? Uh, because it really, it, it, it almost felt like an out-of-body experience. I really feel like whatever I said, and I think I said what I needed to say in that situation, and I, I, I didn't compromise convictions, I think the Holy Spirit spoke and strengthened me and gave me courage and gave me words that I did not have on my own. You know, when you're in a tough spot, that's what we're going to need. It's This is... Christianity is never all about, you know, just pulling up your, hitching up your belt and gutting it out and making it through. Yeah, we have decisions to make, but Jesus said, you know, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always. Whatever the spot you're in, persecution-wise, I believe the Lord will carry us through it. He will give us the courage we need. The Spirit will give us the words that we need. I wanted to, uh, just in closing, read uh, some quotes I found about courage that I hope will help us to be 
brave hearts. Because a lot of us, I don't know about you, but I don't feel very courageous a lot of times. Can you relate to that? But uh, this encourages me when I understand it. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than our fear. Does that speak to you? Speak your mind even if your voice shakes. That's what I was doing when I was having this one-on-one conversation with my professor. My voice was literally... Have you ever been in a position like that? It's very humbling. Because, you know, in a worldly sense, we never want to let them see a sweat. You know, we're always... I always want to seem like I'm in control. And, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and my, my head is shaking and my voice is trembling and, I, you know, I feel like I just can't control... You know what I'm talking about? I mean, when I'm really fearful... I mean, I, I, my head starts swiveling and I can't keep it still. So if you see me like that, you'll know what's going on. Okay, then my voice is cracking and it's shaking and I speak your mind even if your voice shakes. That's, that's courage. Courage is not living without fear. Courage is being scared to death and doing the right thing anyway. I hope you're listening to this, teens. It's not just for you, but I mean, I know, it was a long time ago, but I remember being in high school. I remember being a teen. I mean, you talk about pressure and, you know, the desire to be popular and the fear of being disliked. It's there. But we all understand that at our workplace and our neighborhoods, don't we? Finally, the, uh, the greatest courage of all is the courage to suffer. You know, some of our suffering in life, or even in, we don't really have a choice about it. But that's the thing about Jesus says, He says, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who speak and stand for Christ and choose to suffer. The inevitable the disdain, the disapproval, the mocking, the insults, perhaps even worse than we get. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. There's things that blessings we'll receive in this life, and then he says, ultimately though, the persecuted. Those who are willing to suffer and endure persecution in life, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is going to fix a lot of stuff in your life and my life while we're still here. But we need to keep reminding ourselves He's not going to fix it all until we go on to the next life and in the next world. Then it will be fixed. Then there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, and no more pain. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let's pray, and we will continue with our fellowship. God, we simply ask that you give us the courage that we need today.
courage we need to stand by the convictions of your word in your son Jesus, to be able to speak and to share the gospel message, and to be willing to be persecuted. We want to trust you that in our moment of need, when we are tested and we're fearful and we're feeling overwhelmed, that through your spirit and through the circumstances of your working in our life, you'll fill us with the courage we need to stand up and be what you want us to be. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.